Mount St. Helens in the Cascade Mountain Range. Um, it had a problem in 1980. Does anybody remember the date? What's the date? May 18th. Here you go. Feeling very youth pastory today. So. May 18th, 1980, a 5.1 magnitude earthquake hit the mountain, uh, followed by the collapse of the northern side, which you're looking at here. It was the largest landslide in recorded history. It took 1,300 feet off the summit. It was followed by an eruption that unleashed millions of tons of magma and propelled clouds of searing gas, toxic ash and rock miles into the atmosphere. All the forest around the mountain in the blast zone was annihilated. When all was said and done, 200 square miles of trees were destroyed. Four miles below the summit, you can see it a little bit on the left and much more on the right, was Spirit Lake. It's an enormous deep lake. It was decimated, and the landslide lifted the bed of the lake more than 200 feet. The crater left by the slide in the eruption measures more than a mile wide and over 2,000 feet deep. All life was extinguished. 57 people died. The scale of the destruction is enormous. It's hard to imagine that life would ever return to this area. It feels hopeless and it looks terrible. There's nothing easy about it. The experience and feeling of loss and destruction that some of our prophets that we've been looking at had when they returned to Jerusalem after exile is very hard for us to capture. It's, it's kind of hard to imagine. Last week we looked at Haggai, or as Steve uh, accurately said, the prophet, you say, hey guy, that's what he's at. Today we look at one of his contemporaries, anybody know who we're looking at? Yeah, man, let's do it. Did somebody say it in the balcony? No! That's why I work at a church. Dang it, we'll get you, we'll get you. Yeah. It's, I, blame the, I blame the packaging of the brothers. <laughs> trying to be careful. So Zechariah and Haggai, they live in a world where Babylon had exiled the people uh, very much as I thought in preparation for this. What is something I uh, remember and know about that's similar to what they were returning to? And I think Mount St. Helens captures that a little bit. The, I never, I was too young. I didn't have um, the advantage of climbing a hood or doing anything on there. My, I believe my dad did climb it. And what is even more amazing is he has a picture on the summit of Mount Hood in the 70s with him and a friend before digital cameras, of course. And the photo is of the two of them standing on the summit proud with pickaxes and everything. And the photo is cut off at the it's them from the shoulders down. <laughs> so whoever popped that photo on the summit, you're like, thanks for that. That's a good shot. 
Um, I never had the, the joy of climbing that or um, being around it really much. I actually lived in St. Helens, Oregon when it blew up, so I remember hosing ash off our cars and driveway. Um, but total, just the situation couldn't look more hopeless. The world Haggai and Zechariah lived in and operated in as prophets was one of devastation. The people had lost faith and hope. The present and the future looked very bleak. As one scholar says, we cannot understand the 6th century BCE without a deep appreciation of the lasting and devastating effects that the Babylonian exile held for Judah. Nothing would ever be the same again. So today we are going to do our best to look at some of Zechariah, um, and we're going to specifically talk about looking backwards and looking forwards, remembering and moving forward into something. So that's our plan today. So join me, let's pray, and we'll dive in. Father, we are grateful for Scripture, for your activity through the millennium, uh, how you've enacted at different times in history. You've been faithful to your covenant all the way along. And Lord, uh, now that you have acted uh, with finality um, in and through Christ, and our, as we await his return and the culmination of all that you've uh, begun in and through him, we ask that you would help us to have a faithful reading of Zechariah, understanding uh, of some of what he's communicating, we would apply it rightly to our lives and our situation. In Christ's name, amen. So we want to start here. I'm not sure if we've looked at this yet, but Ezra 5 uh, mentions both of these guys. Now, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jezadak, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So this is a, a good thing to set our context. You have both Haggai and uh, Zechariah working together. And the setting is return after exile, Babylon is falling to Persia, and the people are allowed to return, and then the project of rebuilding. But when they come to return, again, like Mount St. Helens, uh, what they knew before and what they walk into are drastically different situations. The name Zechariah, anybody know what that means? Oh, very good, sir. It's a softball. Ron, you'll be happy to know there's nothing with sharp edges in here. So, um, yeah, it means Yahweh remembers. His name, Zechariah, uh, Yahweh remembers. The very mention of his name, and there's many Zechariahs in the Bible that are not just the prophet, the very mention of the name reminds Israel of their lack of faith and their lack of obedience to Yahweh. It also reminds them, the mention of his name, of God's faithfulness, uh, also God's judgment, and God's promise that he will honor and fulfill the covenant that he has made. Here's a good um, example. 
in the New Testament of one of our other Zechariahs. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named, what do you think the priest was named? Yes. Right in the middle. Perfect. <laughs> so, Zechariah. And who is, uh, who is this Zechariah? He has a son eventually. Who is his son? John the Baptist. Chocolate for you. It's smashed. Okay. So John the Baptist, his father, if you weren't aware of this part of the story, is Zechariah. That is not uh, a whoops-a-daisy, a coincidence. His father, being named Zechariah, would set off sirens and alarms for anyone familiar with the story. So when Luke is telling his gospel account, he says, hey, a priest named Zechariah, that alone should fire off things, and it makes us think, oh, God is up to something. Something's happening. I'm reminded of our lack of obedience and our lack of faith. I'm reminded of God's faithfulness and his judgment and his goodness and all of these things. So the book of Zechariah, um, if you read it, if you, um, this week, 14 chapters, fairly brief chapters, um, if you did not yet have the chance to watch the Bible Project summary, I would highly, highly recommend those. But uh, to summarize his book very succinctly, he has visions, right? Dream visions. Anybody have dreams anymore? God uh, uses dreams with many of the prophets. Uh, you have Daniel dreaming. You, you move in even into the New Testament in the Gospels. Um, in the early church, some dreams and visions. Well, Zechariah is all about that for the first eight chapters or so. He has visions that are aimed. They're very strange, very bizarre. There's women in baskets being flown by other women with stork wings. Um, there's flying scrolls. There is a horsemen and horns and all of this kind of good stuff. His visions are aimed at encouraging the people who are returning after exile, and especially their leaders. Uh, he's encouraging them to rebuild the temple, as we saw in Ezra. And then at the end of the book, 9 through 14, we have some oracles about the future coming king. And what's incredible is Zechariah has a prophetic vision that says the future coming king, there will be something very different about how he comes and he will be slain, he's going to be killed, and eventually triumph. It's just this incredible prophetic deal that Zechariah pulls extensively from Scripture that he's working with, echoes and allusions and quotes. The New Testament uses him a ton. Um, we don't have time to review all that, especially John when he writes Revelation. It's filled with some of the imagery that Zechariah uses. He stresses a lot of theological and eschatological themes, and we're going to focus on two today. There's dozens. We'll uh, look at two. Um, in preparation, um, part of my prayer and wondering has been, what is it, part of what Zechariah has to say, that would be we could utilize for us? Cornerstone, July 2022, uh, given all that's going on in our culture, um, where we live, where we move. And so that's what we're going to look at. We'll start here with this verse. Uh, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, 
declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Zechariah 1.3. Anybody know what? Um, Zechariah loves the phrase Lord Almighty or that title for God. That's NIV. Anybody know a different way to say that? Your, your translation, what's that? Almighty God, how, what else? Lord of hosts, John. He can have more, he can have more. Um, Lord of hosts, what else? Chris Tomlin uh, used the message version of, the na- of this name of God in a song a few years ago. Oh, look at you. Lord of angel armies. So it's weird because in English, especially in the NIV, it comes across as a title. Um, And it is a title, but like, good Lord Almighty, right? Like it's almost like a formal uh, thing. Uh, It's God of armies. So Zechariah, right? This is what the God of angel armies says. And that's a repetition. If you read Zechariah, it's over, Lord Almighty, Lord, which might make you think of, you know, the movie or something like that. Um, But it's God of armies, God of hosts. It is a picture of divine warrior. So in Zechariah, this here, a call to return to the God of the angel armies and he will return to you. Um, There is an initiation that is happening through Zechariah by God, not only as they return from exile, the hope they're going to need, everything they're going to need to have faith and obedience and moving, um, but there's a response, right? So God is going to do something, and he's asking the people to respond to what he will do. A central part of that response is repentance, all right? What is, who can give me a definition of repentance, Oh, man. What's that? Yes, ma'am. Oh, that was a good one. Oh, now we get requests. Now we're having requests from the people. Um, so to turn away, so repenting, repentance in its basic form, I'm going this direction towards something, and I will turn away. What's another aspect of repentance? Changing, yeah, we'll, we'll give it to you. Changing your heart, turning toward. When you turn away, you by fault turn toward something, right? So we turn, we, we could say it is turning from sin. It is turning toward God, right? At its, at its basic, it's a change of direction, which Dick said. But it's, it's also a whole package, right? Repentance is in its attitude, uh, its behavior, its posture, its action, right? And this uh, sometimes gets lost on us uh, in relationships. Well, I don't feel like doing X, Y, Z. Repentance isn't just about feeling and motive. It's also about action. I don't feel like loving my spouse. Well, why don't you do it and see what happens to your feelings? Maybe you still will feel the same way, but a lot of times our behavior and our action well, that was a great, I didn't even talk with Carrie, but the message about the heart, uh, the scriptures tell us we can lead our hearts and our souls. It's weird, right? Psalm, the Psalms are filled with the author telling his soul what to do. You will do this. 
And so there's part of us that can lead when we repent. It doesn't mean all of it has to sink up at once. I'm not going to apologize till I feel it in every cell. Well, guess what? When you do it, that might come with it. Even in the dedication this morning, right? Uh, I noticed Steve was getting a little caught off guard. It's like, all right, yeah, baby, dedication. So we do the thing, and then all of a sudden, what happens? As you engage the process of the dedication, what happens? Your heart comes alive. Did some of you, did that happen? All of a sudden, your things are firing, and you're remembering your vows and your family, and maybe when you baptized or dedicated your baby, and all this other stuff happens because you're behaving and doing something. You're acting something. You're taking action. So number one, takeaway this morning, we have two of them. Our response to God's initiative in our lives is repentance. Zechariah starts uh, his book with this idea. We repent, return to God, turn back to God. Here's who God is. You, you need to respond in repentance. And I add a repentance that remembers, a repentance that remembers. A huge part of our faith and discipleship is remembering well, remembering well, remembering accurately, remembering rightly, remembering in a way that reflects the reality of what actually happened. Part of repentance is great, turn, but then the, the thing, how? How do I turn? How do I act this out? Part of it is to remember well. Remember all that God has done. That's what Zechariah does in his book. From creation all the way up to return from exile, he's recounting God's faithfulness in, the con uh, in Exodus, in the conquest, in the establishment of the temple, in the establishment of the nation, saying God's faithful, God's good, God's merciful. Let's remember well so that we can repent. We can turn back to this God. We remember that as well. We also remember what Zechariah looked forward to. So in Zechariah, he also has a prophetic vision to the future and to what God will do in a Messiah king, and we live on the other side of that. So part of Zechariah is remembering and looking forward. For us, all of his remembering and looking forward is remembrance. We, our repentance is one that remembers. We remember Christ in the table, in uh, baptism, in the things we do in our community. We remember where we've been, us as people. We remember who we are without God's grace and mercy honestly, right? Many of us have been in the church so long, we've forgot. Um, some of us, like myself, I don't know a day. It's one of the prayers we've had over our children. We pray there will be a day they do not remember not walking with God. That's a beautiful gift the community of faith can give, a child who doesn't remember being outside of the community of God. But for some of us, God rescued us. He saved us and that wasn't the case, and we have forgotten. Repentance requires that we remember where we were, what God has done, who he is, his grace and mercy, and it's ongoing for us. That's called sanctification, if you like big fancy theological words. We get sanctified. We, that's the process. Quote from Gordon T. Smith, true conversion leads us to always, to be always conscious of sin and our need to turn from it. 
Repentance is a strand in our conversion that remains a continuing and vital element of the spiritual life. For without its abiding presence, there is no transformation. So if in your small group or your Bible study or somewhere, if someone says, hey, what was the last thing you repented of and you can't think of anything for a few decades, that's not a good place to be, right? Oh, I, I don't, no, 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 no. Repentance is for the people out there who don't have it together like me. That's a bad place to be. That's a place where you don't want to be uh, in Scripture when the people of God forget when they do not remember well, things go off the rails. So number one, our response to God's initiative in our lives is to have a repentance that remembers. We're just going to skip all that. (laughs) Number two, kind of referenced it a little bit, but our response, second way that our response to God's initiative uh, in our lives plays out is a faith and obedience that look forward. Faith and obedience that look forward. The question I have for myself and I pose to you this morning is, are we, Cornerstone, July 2022, going to trust and follow Jesus Uh, into the future, into what he has for us. Um, I've been here 14 years, a little over, uh, and a theme that I've started to pick up, because you cannot live somewhere, um, once you live in Weld County and Greeley for a while, you start to become that, right? You start to become, I'm starting to become more Weld County and Greeley than I am I'm from Oregon and California. And so somewhere in there over time, your identity starts, doesn't it? It starts to go like, it's not fair after you've lived somewhere for 50 years to say like, oh, I'm claiming heritage somewhere else. It's not remembering well because you are not immune to the effects, right? You start to become, uh, we did a series last year and the main thing was you become what you behold you also uh, start to become what you're immersed in all the time. And so that's for good or for ill. There's pros and cons to that. Um, But I've noticed part of my DNA. Guess what I do all the time now as someone who's part of Cornerstone and Greeley? I wasn't even here during the Ewing era, but I want to go back there. It was a great time. And I want... I want, I, I find myself going like, man, if we could only, if we could only figure out how to recreate and redo what was 40 years ago. Now, hopefully you think, you can see there's a, it's great to remember and celebrate, but to anchor ourselves to the past, to not remember well, which includes celebration, but it also includes moving on to have a grown adult children and wish they were still six years old? How's that go in your relationship? We all struggle with that, right? It's, we're humans, we do, in our parenting. You can't parent your 19-year-old the way you parent them when they were seven. 
And certainly once they get married, you can't continue to parent them as though they're a single college person. And certainly once they have children and now you have grandchildren, right? That continues to change. We remember well, we give thanks, but we move. Faith and obedience, Zechariah tells us through his book, must move forward. When we cultivate a life of repentance that remembers, we're able to have a faith and obedience that looks forward. And if we don't do that, if we refuse to do that, if we anchor ourselves to the things we remember and the way it used to be, then we become ingrown. We stall, we twist. Things start to collapse in on themselves. Zechariah, in chapter 12, has, you know, through the Spirit of God, he has this forward-looking faith and obedience. He's, God's helping him to imagine what the Messiah and the King will look like, and he pens this from God saying, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one weeps over a firstborn. This is part of his incredible prophetic vision about Messiah and how he will come and the suffering that will happen for the sake of his people. And Zechariah is telling the people this, hey, remember Mount St. Helens? You've returned back. Let's go on a hike to the summit. Let's go to St. Helens. Imagine walking up and seeing the mountain after the eruption, expecting to see it before. Devastation, loss, loss of hope. And Zechariah tells his people, look, God will do something new. It's good to mourn, it's good to grieve, it's good to remember, but this thing God's gonna do, it's gonna be so different and so new that it's going to change your heart. You aren't just gonna get a new physical temple out of this. There will be a recognition of your need for relationship that there wasn't before. You will see the covenant in a way you didn't see it before. Part of Zechariah's faith that looks forward, it encapsulates a repentance that remembers well, but it pushes the people forward, right? It's a faith and obedience that looks forward. He remembers God's faithfulness. He says, hey, in creation, in what God's done, the exodus and the conquest, in the establishment of the temple, in the nation. Look at all God did. Let's remember that well. Let's repent, return to him, because guess what? He's not back there. He's moving forward. Let's get busy going to where God is also going. He looks forward to a day, along with the other prophets, that God is going to pour out his spirit so people have new hearts. The law becomes internal. The posture towards God shifts. They actually want to keep the covenant. So much desire in, involved, the behavior and the desire start to come together. They're actually going to be able to respond to the covenant out of desire for relationship with God because his spirit will enable them. It's gonna look very, very different. The whole thing has changed. It will be experienced dif differently, Zechariah tells the people. Um, but regardless, we are supposed to have a faith 
and an obedience that moves forward, right? It doesn't collapse on itself. So back to our specific, think of, I mean, I don't know what you remember um, in your life, careers, um, you know, the point of your conversion, maybe your baptism, uh, relationships, marriage, having children, your uh, energy, health, these kinds of good gifts from God. We can remember and celebrate them. However, we, Jesus is always out front, moving forward, beckoning us, calling us to respond to him. He's on the move, as C.S. Lewis would frequently say, Aslan is on the move. He's out ahead of us, initiating, working, inviting us to respond and join him. And this is to myself, but I, I see that, I don't know if it's weekly, but often I'm like, what am I doing? Uh, whether it's how you parent or how you start to think and view things, that stuff can't change. You know, that can be a thing too. Well, it just is what it is. People can't change after they're 60 years old or whatever. Sorry, Marvin. Um, <laughs> they won't, you know, people won't. You, there's all these kind of cliches and mantras around. And, and when, you pay, when I pay attention to kind of the internal dialogue, a lot of that is remembering. Uh, it's not remembering well. It's not a remembering that is activating repentance and a return to God and who God is and an excitement to move forward. Rather, it's a remembering that does what? It, it's paralyzing. It conjures up fear, a what if, worry, um, oh no. Uh, and so there's a faith and obedience when we remember well and we repent, when we turn toward, we don't just turn from sin, but we turn toward Jesus and he's out. He's out moving. He wants us to join him in his work. So to go backward or, or to wish uh, we could just be over there, um, I think we need to, by God's grace, catch ourselves when we do that. Catch ourselves and then, and then that's part of the repentance. Zechariah says, look, that's, remember it well, but don't anchor yourself to that. Catch yourself, repent, return, remember, but also turn toward Christ who's always moving forward. And that's my prayer for myself. It's my prayer for you. As Cornerstone moves, right, we continue to move through pandemic, uh, all that's happening in the global situation, uh, markets, as you look at your portfolio and you lose more percentage points, and these voices come in, and it, it can be real. These are not small things. These are very real-life things. Stuff happens in our lives, um, doesn't it? That's difficult. And the remembering, if we remember well, it should lead us to repentance. We turn toward Jesus. We follow him with faith and obedience, and we move forward. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your work in our lives. God, help us to be uh, people who remember well um, and let that remembering generate repentance, true uh, movement in our hearts uh, that desire relationship with you. And God, out of that, when we turn towards you, we, we pray you would give us everything we need, the grace, the courage, uh, the power of your spirit to move forward in faith and obedience. Um, even when we might not understand it or it's uncomfortable for us or we'd rather have something else. Um, Lord, if you are in something, that's where we want to be. 
If you are moving somewhere, that's where we want to go. So we ask that you would do that in us, through us, for us. And we're, we're grateful for the gift of your spirit and all that you promise in Christ's name. Amen.